this is Rare Bird Radio. I'm Mary Tabor, author of The Woman Who Never Cooks, The Novel Who By Fire, and winner of a Wadi for my memoir, Remaking Love, where movies drive the real-life story. You've probably never heard of me. And that is part and parcel of this show's conversation with my guest actor, Aaron Marcus. Never heard of him? Here's the scoop. Aaron has been in the biz for some 30 years and has been a working actor all that time. He was Ellen Burstyn's butler, Michael, in two episodes of House of Cards. If you've watched Do No Harm, Law and Order, Rectify, Hot and Catch Fire, The Wire, West Wing, Gotham, you've seen him. His new flick that we'll talk about is Fishbowl. We're talking for the first time today, but I've already been struck by his sincerity and candor in our email exchanges. He even told me he'd been cut from that fab flick, Philomena, directed by Stephen Frears and starring Judy Dench and Steve Coogan, who also co-wrote the screenplay and got the film into production. After I'd rewatched the full flick to find Aaron, who I thought played a priest in the flick, there he was in the thanks at the very end. Yep, I watched credits and think you should too. We'll talk about that and Aaron's book, How to Become a Successful Actor and Model, and how he can help you one-on-one in private online sessions. Just one of his tips is the use of QPrompter.com, a clever way to turn your computer into a teleprompter to prepare for an audition. So what you're going to get today is an inside look at a working actor's real life, how he's made a living, done the work he loves, and lived to tell about it. Aaron Marcus, welcome to Rare Bird Radio. Oh, it's so great to be here with you, Mary. Thanks. First, tell me what happened with Philomena and how you got into those thank yous at the end of that marvelous flick. (laughs) Maybe they felt bad for (laughs) for editing my scenes. (laughs) They felt sorry for me, so they wanted to give me a thanks. It was wonderful. Oh, I don't Um, buy that. I don't buy that. (laughs) Uh, But Judy Dench is just, not only is she an unbelievable actor, she is just so nice. She worked incredibly hard. It was a very painful, difficult scene, and just did the scene over and over and over again, and you know, never had any problems, never questioned the director, just did the work. And uh, she was she was just so incredible to work with. It was really one of the highlights. I understood that. I understood somehow, Erin, that she was losing her vision when she was making that film. Is that true, too? That's what I heard. I, it wasn't anything yeah. we discussed, but uh, I had heard yeah. that. And, yeah, but still, she was just amazing. Well, it's great you got to meet her, isn't it? Oh, it, it was really wonderful. And and to watch her work in other scenes, too. Was it done in the States? Because or, or, some of the film was, takes place in the States. It was done in, in Europe as well as in the States. There were some scenes that they shot around Washington, D.C., and that's where I worked. Ah, oh, I see. Okay. Well, tell us about your new movie, Fishbowl. What's it, what's it about and who do you play? Yeah, well, I can't give out too much information about it just because it hasn't been fully Ooh, it's edited. It's a secret. But, <laughs> okay. well, it's not so much a secret, but I can I can just tell you a little bit about my role, which was really fun. Uh, I'm a preacher, 
in a very small town kind of place, and there are things going on in this community that uh, shouldn't be going on. And <laughs> but I'm the uh, I'm the warm-hearted voice of reason, uh, trying to help people who uh, aren't really liked by other people in the community, and try to bring people together. And so uh, it was really, it was wonderful uh, having some nice long sermons and, and uh, that, that I had to, uh, to give to my uh, um, church-going friends and, uh, and had some other uh, conflicting scenes with, uh, with the main character. And uh, so it, it was just great. And do you, uh, is it, is it coming out in the spring, this spring or a summer? I guess. Or, I mean, I, I guess, we're, I guess be, we're in the summer now. Yeah, I, I, my guess would be uh, early fall is when it's going to be released. So, but we'll, we'll see. You know, you just never know with projects what, what happens with them. Yeah, and, sure. And that's why I really don't even pay that much attention to that end of it. It's It's kind of like... Being a writer, like certainly you like to get paid, you like to get you know get money for your work, but it's the writing that you love, and so for me, it's doing the work itself. And if it becomes a very popular film, great. If it doesn't, I feel a little bad for the producers and the writers and the directors. Uh, so I'm not. It's not that I'm going to be happy about it, but ultimately, it's really it's the work that I do that really intrigues me, and and that's that's what I love doing. It's really interesting that you say that. That hits a, a really common um, thread for me because, you know, writers don't make a lot of money. They're, you know, they're, they're very few who get super famous and all of that. And so um, there's a way in which it's always seemed to me as as gift. And I just um, I just happen to have this quote handy. It's by um, Lewis Hyde, who's written about the nature of generosity in the way that art moves moves forward and it's what motivates me and I'm going to come back to this because I'm just looking for it so I can find the exact quote let me ask you a, a craft question before we come back to that but I just think that's fabulous thought that you just expressed that you do the work because you love it and the work is what fulfills you the actor, Mary, 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 if I could just if I could just jump in for just one, one second because yeah, no, you, no, you, you made me think of please something do. please do yeah, you know, I want to hear it. I, I I work with a lot of people. There are a lot of people who, like you had mentioned, that I mentor. I do online mentoring, and what I find is that the people who are trying to enter the industry because they want to become famous and they want to become wealthy and they want the notoriety. Yeah, that's a very dangerous way of entering the business. And the fact of the matter is, if if it's Making a lot of money, if that's something, if that's your main goal for going into, whether it's acting or modeling, commercial modeling, then honestly what I would tell you is there are much easier ways to make money in this world. Um, and, and I think that it can also be a really hard life if that is your goal and your only goal and the work itself doesn't really do it for you. It's just – you know, it means to an end. Okay, well, let me build. Let me yeah. build on. Let me build on that because I, I'm going to skip around in terms of of what I was going to talk to you about. But that's, okay. let's just let's just talk about some of the some of the, the difficulties in terms of uh, of expectations and such. So, um, you know, it depends on the source that you go to, um, but uh, the numbers vary. 
But here's the stat. Upwards of 90% of actors working today are not able to earn a living at their craft. And let, let's just quote somebody famous here. So Liam Neeson has said, no drama school ever teaches you how to deal with being unemployed. What are you going to do when you become a waiter? I'm quoting him now. How do you remind yourself you're an actor? You do it for three weeks, then three weeks becomes six months, and that becomes five years. It's very hard to deal with. So where you're going on this, and I want to give you the lead for this, what are your thoughts as an actor who's been consistently employed? Yeah, I mean, what, what he said is, is really very accurate. Um, it's very difficult to make a living doing this kind of work. I, I tell you, one of the things that um, I think is so essential for all, and it's not even really just actors, uh, it could be models, and a lot of people in the arts, is that something that will sustain you for a much longer time period and give you some nourishment is to understand that you can't take anything personally in this industry. And the quicker you understand that, and it took me a while, the easier your life gets. And I'm not saying when you go to an audition, uh, it's a job you really want, and you don't book the job that you don't feel bad. I mean, that's fine. I mean, we're human. Um, you know, when you don't get something that something that's exciting for you, yeah, it can feel bad. But there's a difference between feeling bad and taking it to another level of feeling that you're bad or feeling that you're not any good. You're worthless. Nobody likes you. Nobody wants to hire you. And the fact yeah, yeah, is yeah. most of the auditions that we go on, we're not going to get. And it's not a personal thing. You might have given the greatest audition out of anybody. But if you're too tall, you're too short, or you're not good-looking enough, or you're too good-looking, you don't match up with the other characters, I mean, who knows? There, there are a million and one reasons, and that's why it's nothing personal. These are all business decisions. I know, I know you have a list of other jobs that allow for flexibility to allow actors to work when the opportunity hits. Before you tell us what they might be, or maybe you don't want to reveal that because that's in your book, um, Tell us what other jobs you yourself have had and which were the most rewarding. Well, you know, I've been actually very fortunate. Um, before I was a full-time actor, um, it wasn't that much steady of a job, but I was a full-time musician. And and I actually... Really? Toured, yeah, yeah. What I did you really play? Talk about that much. Well, in college, I actually studied classical guitar. That you was did. I was a music major, and my brother and I um, performed music together. We did mostly college concerts, and he had a jazz background. I had a classical background, and so we were songwriters, and we That's wrote. That's fascinating. You must be better <laughs> telling the way I do. Yeah, <laughs> you've got to right. right. <laughs> yeah. So what we did was we wrote songs that had a jazz, pop, classical feel to it. And so wow. we toured colleges for about seven years, and things were going really well. And then my brother just came up with the realization that he didn't like traveling and he didn't like performing. And those are not, not good things to be feeling if you want to be a musician, a uh, performing musician. So um, I was actually planning on being a physical therapist, um, and so I went back to school, but while I was in school, I was taking all my prerequisites for PT school, and that's when I started doing some acting and modeling, just just as a part-time job, 
uh, just to help really? pay some of my bills. Mm-hmm. And and what I found was after a couple of years of doing that, I just loved doing it so much. I gave up the concept of physical therapy and pursued acting uh, and commercial modeling full time. So that really has been my only job for the past 30 years. The only thing that I have done on the side is teach people what I do during the week. And so I do a lot. I've done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of in-person workshops. I do online workshops, like I'd mentioned before, private mentoring. But yeah, that's been that's been my only uh, my only job. And and by the way, I don't mind sharing information about other kinds of jobs that would be great for actors um, or models, for that matter, to do on a part-time basis while they're trying to pursue, um, you know, their whatever their dreams are. So it, whenever you want me to talk about them, I'm more than well, happy go, to share go, go, go ahead, and then I want to come back to a craft question, and I've also found my uh, I found my my quote, quote that I was looking for. Okay, so go ahead, go ahead and tell yeah, us so some of the some of the jobs that might not be bartender or waiter. Nah, yeah, these are much more interesting, and they um, they will allow you to use your acting skills as well. A lot of people have no idea about these kinds of jobs. One is called standardized patient work. It's really it's it's a very interesting kind of job where many teaching hospitals. Uh, will hire actors to help train their students and sometimes docs um, how to do exams. And so the actor is given a uh, background. Uh, You know what disease you have. You know what kind of ailments you have. And you don't have to memorize an entire script, but you do have to be incredibly familiar with what's going on with you. And the doc will come in and start asking you questions, and you're in character. You are playing that character. So, so with, in fact, so so in fact, even in something like that, the, the craft is important. Oh, absolutely! Words, you have you, to be believable. Yeah. So that that brings me to something I really would love to talk with you about. This is a this is a different quote from the one I mentioned before. Apparently, I love to quote. This is from the actor and playwright Sam Shepard, and he said this in an interview in the New York Times talking about his fiction. And as a writer, I was very interested in this, but I think it also applies to his acting. He said, it's a strange thing about form. When you're younger, you tend to believe it doesn't exist or that you can ignore it or reinvent it. Slowly, you begin to understand that there are certain essentials that have to be honored. And then he said, horsemanship is the same way I could just sort of imagine him climbing on a horse. You don't just jump on a horse, spur him, and hope for the best. So since you're an actor and he's an actor, I would think he's talking about that art as well. When you talk about these, uh, these, these essentials, what do you honor in your acting? What are you looking for to get the craft just right, to hit it just right? Well, I think one of the things is not to try to be perfect, you know, not to try to hit it just right, um, because the, the the fact is when you are doing something live, certainly you want to yeah. be unbelievably prepared, but what happens in that moment, if you are having a scene with somebody else, you can rehearse it, you know, and you can... Um, you know, have a pretty good idea of what's going to take place, and certainly you know where your character is going to go and what that character is going to do. But ultimately, in that moment, 
you're just free falling in the sense of it, everything is dependent on the other person who you're talking to. It's also dependent on invention, isn't it? Because I mean, I'm just see, I'm just comparing our two our two crafts a little bit. You know, one of the things I say all the time when I'm when I'm teaching is that it's important that you not try to be perfect. In other words, that you follow the invention wherever it takes you. That you you sort of have to to take Auden's quote, you have to leap before you look. You really have to be willing to just go with the stuff and see where you have to risk and risk it all. And that's as it sounds as if we're talking about the same kind of mental attitude toward the work. Absolutely. At least that's the way I do it. And like every everybody has different approaches and it's not that one way is better than the other or one way is right and one way is wrong. But that that's what I do. Certainly, I don't just walk into a situation and just say, well, whatever happens, happens, and let, let's see how it goes, and just wing it. No, I mean, I'm unbelievably prepared. But in those moments, uh, I don't know how I'm going to be feeling by the way the other person looks at me or the way they say their line. And and to try to um, craft that out ahead of time and, and have it locked in, I think, is a real disservice to your performance. And what, you know, certainly what could happen is the director might have a different idea, and in which case the director will come over and talk with you and say, yeah, well, let's try it again and maybe try, you know, putting it in a different, put a different spin on it and take it in a different direction, which which is fine. And, you know, and then you can give the director some options. But, yeah, I, I think it's dangerous to try to be perfect because yeah, there is yeah. no such thing with this stuff. I so agree, and I think the, the process of the invention in the creative process is, is so important. Do you ever reject work because you don't think its quality is good enough, or do you take every job that comes along because you need the work? That seems to be um, a loaded question. I don't mean it that way. No, 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 no. It's, it's not loaded at all. I tell you what, what, what I do. Um, I have never based accepting a job or turning down a job based on money. Um, I, I've always found that I can always find something interesting in what I'm doing. And um, the only times where I will turn something down is if it's something that I find offensive or mm-hmm. the personally offensive. And I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I, I've done some TV commercials for uh, political spots. And uh, I don't know, it was probably about, I don't know, five months ago, uh, there was a political spot. I don't even remember who the politician was, somebody in the Midwest. And this was a man on the street who was talking about uh, this politician's policies. And there, the policies were so horrible and mean-spirited and ignorant. Wow. Um, I just, I thank the agent for thinking of me. I said, it's just not something I want to do. And I didn't want to be a part of. The only other kinds of projects that I might turn down is if I feel it might hurt me business-wise. Another good example is there was a great, this was a commercial modeling ad. And this is a commercial modeling, just so everybody knows. It's not fashion. It's not runway. It's all the Mm -hmm. people that you see in 
uh, non-fashion magazines, newspapers, billboards, posters. It has nothing to do with high-end designer clothes. We're portraying the real-looking people, the you know, the doctor, the, the pharmacist, well, pharmacists or doctors, sure, the sure. teacher, you know, those kinds of people. And uh, this was a great ad campaign. I was hoping it would be a very successful one. It was about child abuse. I just didn't want to portray myself as being a child abuser on billboards across the country. And even though I oh, know wow. certainly people I know <laughs> yes. understand, I'm not a child abuser, but from a business point of view, you know, I've done ads for Crayola Crayons and Toys R Us and Parents Magazine, and I'm thinking, well, if I am connected with being a child abuser, that might hurt me for work in the future. <laughs> so, Would the proportion of your work fall more into the category of that kind of uh, commercial no. work versus uh, screen work? Now, most of it's been screen work and TV well, work. Well, it's either screen, it could be, and there's another uh, another type of uh, area of acting that many people might not realize. There are three names, training films, corporate films, or educational films. And mm -hmm. these can also mm -hmm. be very interesting projects where – I remember uh, the United States Navy used to hire me all the time, and we would shoot videos for sailors. One was a suicide film. It was very interesting. We flew it out to Florida, um, and basically if you are seeing people showing certain kinds of symptoms, they're saying certain things, this is what you need to do to make sure that these people are safe. At one point, I was doing uh, a pretty good amount of commercial modeling work, but that was that was years ago. I really haven't done that much commercial print recently. I mean, I still okay, do. Okay, so let me let me let me bring me let me bring you back to where you kind of started with the the idea that you know someone who's young and listening to us today and saying, oh well, I just I'm going to call Aaron up right away because I'm and I hope they do. And because I'm going to get famous, and you just said that's not the right way to go in the business. I'd like to talk to you about this from another angle because I come to you as, as a, a different kind of artist, as a writer. So I want to talk about the shared trouble of the arts, Erin. So here's Tilly Olson from her marvelous book, Silences. And I'm going to insert a word here and there as we go. What follows is the blues. Writer, insert actor, don't read, insert watch it. You know it any way you live it, and have probably read it in one way or place or another and said better. This is for readers to whom it may be news. And then she quotes Van Gogh. So let's take an artist because we're talking about, I think all of this crosses the genres of the people who create something other on the stage, in a poem, in a short story, in a play. The satisfaction about work, Van Gogh said, the failure of things, the difficulties of technique, and then to swallow that despair and that melancholy, to struggle on, notwithstanding thousands of shortcomings and faults and the uncertainty of conquering them, all this complicated by material difficulties. One works hard but still cannot make ends meet. Okay, that's one quote. That's, that's, that's from one point of view. Here's another. And wait till you hear who said this. Who will read, insert, watch me? Who will care? It does not help the work to be done. That work already completed is surrounded by silence and indifference. If it is published, insert, produced at all. Few books, insert, movies, ever have the attention of a review, good or bad. Fewer stay longer than a few weeks on bookshelves, insert, theaters, if they get there at all. Works of art, or at least books, stories, poems, insert, films, meriting life, disappear before our very eyes because of the absence of responsible attention. 
Chekhov said that more than wow. 90 years ago. Yeah. So let's talk about, have there been some troubles along the way similar to these? And you've achieved enormous success as a working actor for 30 years. But let's talk the troubles. Let's get them on the table. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, it, look, there are there are so many times where, like I was talking about before, you know, you go to auditions and you you practice, you are prepared, you go in, you think you do a great job at an audition, and you don't get it, and and that happens on a regular basis. So, um, you know, it can be very discouraging, you know, in that way. And sometimes, you know, what can be helpful too is instead of just dwelling on it, um, is to either just take a little break and just say, I'm going to take a couple of days off. You know, I'm going to stop trying to market myself and try to get work on my own. Or if you happen to have an agent, I'm going to tell the agent, I'm just going to take a couple of days away and just stop because it's easy to get into this spinning cycle of feeling horrible. And I think there's a certain energy that you can create that keeps things uh, feeling horrible. Does reading ever help you? You know, um, I do enjoy, I, normally, and it's just a personal thing for me, I like nonfiction. And, yeah, it is nice. It, it just uh, it allows me to just shut everything down. I'm not listening to the radio. I'm not listening to the news. And I will just take time and, and read. Sometimes it's going out for walks. Sometimes it's, you know, weeding outside of my house, planting things. Just. Do you live in Manhattan or do you live in Baltimore? No, actually, my, my, my bed is in Baltimore, Maryland. So I commute to a lot of markets. And what a lot of people don't realize, I mean, certainly Manhattan, you know, New York is certainly the, the capital of the film and TV industry on the East Coast. But Atlanta is a, is a pretty good second. It has huge sound stages. There's a tremendous amount of work. I've done uh, two TV shows and a feature film in Atlanta. Give us names. Give us names. Yeah, Tell well, us what you've done. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. Well, there was a, a film called Project Almanac that was shot. It was really, um, it seemed like what they were gearing up for, it was this kind of high school, early college audience, science mm -hmm. fiction, going back into time kind of thing. Um, and I don't think they had the success that they were looking for. Um, it was fun. I was a history teacher, so that was enjoyable. Um, there was a show called Rectify. Yeah, I've seen some of that one. That's a, it was a really it. it, it um, mm -hmm. They finished shooting um, the series, which was unfortunate. I, I really enjoyed it. It's a very it was a very quirky kind of show. I think people either really mm -hmm. liked it or really didn't like it. It was slow. Um, I really I, I enjoyed it a lot. And um, that, that show that you would mention, Halt and Catch Fire, which I think will start airing again pretty soon. Uh, that was shot, uh, I shot that in Atlanta. So in today's world, you know, something that's very different than from years ago is that mm -hmm. you used to have to be where they're shooting the films or the TV series in order to be considered. And in New York and L.A., that's still pretty much true. There are some exceptions to the rule, but in places like Atlanta, pretty much 
all of my auditions, I shoot in my home. I upload the auditions, send them in most of the time. You use that cue prompter? You <laughs> use that cue prompter? No, either either I, uh, and actually that is a great, that is a, a great device. Um, either I will memorize my lines for the audition, or what I will do is I'm going to be incredibly familiar with them. And there are certain techniques, and I teach people how to do this as well. I will hold, they're called sides. That's the short portion of the script that you're reading for the audition. I'll hold the sides in my hand. Yeah. And then I will I'll glance at it, uh, and I'll come back and then say the lines, glance at it. And if you're really good at it, it looks like you're just having a conversation. Because when you're talking with somebody, you don't just stare uh, yeah, yeah. this laser beam, look in their eyes. So, you know, you look at them, you look away a little bit and come back. But, you know, something that, that you had mentioned uh, a little while ago, and it, it, it hit me, and I just wanted to make sure uh, I um, responded to it. You were talking about, you know, young people getting started in the industry. You know, something that a lot of people right. don't necessarily think about, there are elderly people, people who are retired, who are starting in the industry. And, really? You no, know, they're not – you know, they're not trying to make a living. They're not trying to get their own TV mm-hmm. series. But certainly, especially with commercial modeling, that would be a much better way uh, just because there are more opportunities. But when you open up any non-fashion magazine, you're going to see people of all ages in there. So even for, you know, people who might be, you know, 70, might be 80, you never know. And it's, like, it's not as much work as somebody who's 25 years old, but, you know, if you get the right information, and this is something that might be of interest to you, it could be a lot of fun for people. Okay, you mean interest to me? <laughs> you say to me? Or you say... <laughs> okay. And it's for anybody, um, even just working as an extra, you know, on a TV show or, or on a film. It could be an interesting experience for somebody. Okay, I'd listened to another interview that you recently did to promote your book, and um, you just and you have mentioned that you were a preacher and a history teacher, and you described your acting persona as a Nostradamus type. Can you talk about why you said that and and, and how that I relates that? To, to to that? You you did. <laughs> I, I'm just wondering wow. whether you were referring to Nostradamus from the 16th century, the physician and astrologer who wrote some. 5,000 prophecies. It was on the Black Talk radio show that you did that I managed to find and hear you, and that's what you said to the guy. He said, we, we, we all think we know your your voice and you said, well, I'm every man, but I'm an Nostradamus type and I'm wondering what that meant. But you well, don't you know, remember that, do you? You know, I don't remember saying it, but, but it's funny that you mentioned it because <laughs> I did a training film where I was Nostradamus. I also did a commercial modeling ad where I was Nostradamus. So I don't know, maybe there was some reference to that. Yeah, it was for some high-end stereo equipment. It was many years ago in New York. And they had me dressed up with long beard and hat, and I was uh, predicting the future, and so uh, I was a Nostradamus type. That's the only thing that I can think of. Well, you know know what, we've... We've been we've been talking for quite a while now, and I think it's been really a, a wonderful conversation about your your candor. And I do think that you do work from the heart, and you probably teach from the heart. And I did find I did find my quote, which and I love to close with a quote. And so I'm going to close this um, this show, Aaron, with this quote from Lewis Hyde, who says this: Most artists are converted to art by art itself. The future artist finds himself or herself moved by a work of art. 
and through that experience comes to labor in the service of art until he can profess his own gifts. Those of us who do not become artists nonetheless attend to art in a similar spirit. We come to painting, to poetry, to the stage, hoping to revive the soul. And any artist whose work touches us earns our gratitude. It is with gratitude, Erin, that I close this interview for having connected with you. And I thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Have a great evening. Thank you so much. It was wonderful. Thanks.